funeral. I'm going to read a, a longer portion of scripture tonight, verse 21 down to about verse 35. And so it reads like this. When the eighth day had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, and the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification, according to the law of Moses, was completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to pre present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the, of the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice a uh, pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was a righteous and devout man looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. He came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to carry out for him the customs of the law. Then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you have released your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at these things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul, to the end that the thoughts for every man's heart may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Penel, the, the, of the tribe of Asher, and she was advanced in years, and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And then as a widow at the age of 84, she never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayer. And that very moment she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. We thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit among us. We ask now that you would speak to us by your word and allow us not only to celebrate the fact that you have come, but to anticipate tonight the fact that you will come again. We ask that in Jesus' name, and the church said amen. 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 I want to share with you tonight, we're going to spend the next three Wednesday nights talking about the coming of the Lord. Uh, vamos a pasar las próximas tres, uh, los próximos tres estudios. En esta noche, uh, hablando de la venida de nuestro Señor Jesucristo. Uh, we're in the Advent season right now. We're in the Christmas season. Estamos ahora en el tiempo de Navidad, uh, en, la, en cual recordamos el Advento de nuestro Señor Jesucristo. And that word Advent literally means uh, the arrival of or to come. Esa palabra Advento representa la llegada o la venida de una persona importante. And so the Advent season is a, a time in which we celebrate the arrival or the coming of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to the earth. It's el tiempo en el cual celebramos la venida 
de nuestro Señor Jesucristo a la tierra. And uh, we uh, sometimes use the words interchangeably, Christmas, Advent, and so on. Usamos las palabras uh, Navidad o Advento. We're referring to the same thing. Uh, some people have a problem with the word Christmas because of its Catholic origins. But ultimately, we know what we're talking about. And uh, I don't want you to think that Jesus was actually born on December 25th. That was an error that uh, a monk uh, who tried to figure out what day Jesus was born on, he calculated some things and he determined that that was the date. And then later he calculated again and determined that that wasn't the date. Um, and we really don't know what day Jesus was born on, all right? So it doesn't matter what day exactly he was born on. What matters is that he was born. Say amen, somebody. And that uh, he came according to the prophecies of the Old Testament. Aunque Jesús no nació el día 25, uh, ese, esa fecha fue puesta en error por una persona que quiso uh, establecer la fecha del nacimiento del Señor y después se dio, se dio cuenta que se había equivocado. Entonces, no, no porque es la fecha, sino porque vino, es que celebramos. But tonight I want to begin a, a new little mini-series about the, the second coming of Christ. Because the Christmas season ought to be a good time for us to remember that he came, but it is a very good time for us to remember that he is coming back. Say amen, somebody. Uh, este tiempo de Navidad es un buen tiempo, buena hora, para celebrar que él vino. Pero igualmente es bueno, buena hora para recordar que él va a venir, que él va a regresar. Because when we talk about Advent, when we talk about the coming of Christ, we realize in the scripture that there is a first and a second coming. Cuando hablamos del Advento, de la venida del, del Señor Jesucristo, entendemos de la Escritura que hay un primer Advento y un segundo Advento. There was a first coming when he came to be born uh, by the Virgin Mary. He was born in Bethlehem, and that was his first coming. But there's a second coming. Uh, hay una segunda venida de nuestro Señor Jesucristo. En la primera, el vino fue nacido como hombre en, la, en el vientre de María y vivió aquí en la tierra. Pero hay un segundo advento. And in the second coming, if I can just say briefly, the second coming is the same man, Jesus. He's coming back. El mismo hombre que estuvo aquí en la tierra, llamado Jesús, va a regresar a la tierra. And there are a, a lot of things that uh, our culture thinks and believes about the coming of Christ uh, that are, some are true, some are not true, so we're going to work through some of those things over the next few weeks. But I just want to take this time to share with you the importance of anticipating and preparing for the coming, for the return of our Lord. Quiero que tomemos este tiempo para celebrar su venida, pero también anticipar y cultivar una esperanza sobre la venida de nuestro Señor Jesucristo, la segunda venida de nuestro Señor Jesucristo. And I just want you to know this from the start out, okay? I believe that Jesus is coming back. And not everybody believes that. Not every preacher believes that. Not every pastor believes that. Not every seminary professor believes that. But I stand before you today believe that. I believe that Jesus is coming back. This church believes that. And the denomination that we're a part of believes that. And uh, I believe it with all of my heart. Listen, I believe with my whole heart that Jesus came the first time. 
He's not a myth. He's not a legend. He's not a, a story. He's not a figment of someone's imagination. He is the literal, physical son of God on the earth. He came the first time. And I believe if he came once, he'll come back like he said. Yo creo que Jesús va a regresar a la tierra. Uh, yo creo que él vino la primera vez. Yo creo en su primera venida. Y yo creo que él no era un mito, no era una leyenda, no era una historia. Era un hombre histórico que existió sobre la tierra. Y ese hombre histórico ascendió al cielo y va a regresar hacia la tierra. And so, if, if you are a believer in the, in the Lord Jesus Christ, the great hope that you and I have is that we're going to see him again. That we're going to see him. Uh, la gran esperanza del creyente es que vamos a ver a Jesús. Uh, the, uh, one of the great stories in the Bible that can help us to connect to this topic is this story that I have read to you about Simeon. Una de las mejores historias de la escritura que podemos uh, usar para relacionarnos a, este, a esta discusión es la vida del de anciano Simeon. When Jesus was born, now I want us to go through this text, so keep your Bible open to Luke chapter 2, because we're going to dissect this a little bit, and I'll show you some things in here that might be helpful uh, to you. Vamos a ver este capítulo en, en un poco de detalle. Pero Simeón um, era anciano a, alrededor del tiempo que Jesús nació. And Simeon was an old man around the time that Jesus was born. Now, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Everybody say Bethlehem. And he was born in Bethlehem, which is about two miles from Jerusalem, where the temple is. Uh, Jesús nació en Belén, que está a algunas dos millas de Jerusalén, donde está el templo. Now, Jesus, his parents, uh, Mary and Joseph, are not from Bethlehem. They're from a city 80 miles away called Nazareth. María y José no eran de Belén, ellos eran de Nazaret. Y uh, ellos... Uh, Tuvieron que ir a Belén por causas que vamos a describir en otro mensaje. They had to go to Bethlehem for causes that I'll talk about in another message. And so they went to Bethlehem and Jesus was born in Bethlehem the way that the prophets had foretold. Jesús nace en Belén así como los profetas habían declarado. Now Jesus was part of a Jewish family. Jesus is a Jew, alright, he's still a Jew. Jesús es judío, nació en una familia judía. Era judío, es judío, hasta el día de hoy. All right, and so, according to Jewish law, the law of Moses, de acuerdo a la ley de Moisés, if you were the firstborn son of the uh, Jewish family, si usted era el primogénito de una familia uh, judía, entonces usted tenía que ser redimido. Then you had to be redeemed. This is why. Because of all of the firstborns of Israel, all of the livestock of Israel, if you, if you had a cow, the firstborn cow, the firstborn uh, among the sheep, the firstborn among the oxen, all firstborn, the firstborn donkey, had to be sacrificed to the Lord. Todos los primogénitos de los bueyes, de los, uh, de los, um, las vacas, de las, de la, de las uh, ovejas, uh, tenían que ser redimidos. Y el primogénito tenía que ser sacrificado. Of course, you couldn't sacrifice your firstborn son, all right? That would not, that wouldn't work. Usted no podía sacrificar su primogénito, su hijo primogénito. So God said, if you have a firstborn son, instead of sacrificing the son, you're going to bring an offering to the 
to the tabernacle in place of the sacrifice, in, in place of the son. Entonces, si usted tiene un hijo primogénito, no lo va a sacrificar, sino que va a traer un sacrificio en su lugar. And that was an Old Testament picture of what you and I would have to endure in order to be saved. Someone else died for us to be redeemed. Eso era un retrato del Antiguo Testamento de cómo usted y yo para ser redimidos, algo más tuvo que morir por nosotros. And the same way that, that uh, we see the The, uh, the young family, the young couple, bringing an animal to be sacrificed so that their son wouldn't be sacrificed, so God provided Jesus so that you and I wouldn't be sacrificed. Say amen, somebody. And so we were redeemed. De la misma manera que esa pareja joven sacrificaba un hijo, ellos daban, uh, da, sacrificaban un animal para salvar a su hijo, así Dios sacrificó a Jesús para salvarnos a nosotros. Now, God was so good in his law that he understood that not everybody could give the same size offering. Uh, sometimes a firstborn had to be redeemed with an ox. But some people couldn't afford an ox. And so sometimes they had to be redeemed with a lamb. And some people couldn't afford a lamb. And so then they had to be redeemed with two turtle doves, all right, two little birds. I want you to notice there that God was making sure that every person in Israel could have redemption. You see how good God is? That he made sure that even the poor could get to the altar. Aren't you glad today that God doesn't say the rich only? Or that God doesn't say the middle class only? But that God says, come and, and get redemption, even without money, even without price. Come and receive redemption. Dios proveó que una familia rica tenía que traer un buey, una familia de media uh, riqueza tenía que traer una oveja, y una familia pobre podía, podía traer unas palomitas. Y eso era para asegurar que todos podían llegar al altar. Todos podían llegar, si no era rico, podía llegar aún siendo pobre. Y esta es la gracia de Dios hacia nosotros. Que hasta el día de hoy todos podemos llegar al altar. Aren't you glad tonight that everyone can still come to the altar? Aren't you glad tonight that everybody can still find redemption in Jesus Christ? Que gozo debemos tener en saber que todos pueden venir al altar. You know, there's an old story about a, 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 a king who was at the altar receiving the communion. And a beggar came beside him. You know, they do the long line in the Catholic Church. And so the, the king was there and the beggar was next to him. And the, the assistant to the, to the bishop, he came to the beggar and said, you can't be here right now. The king is receiving communion. And the king responded and said, no. He said, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. When you come to the cross, there are no kings, there are no princes, there are no nobles, there are no beggars. It's all level at the foot of the cross. Come on, somebody give God praise for that tonight because Jesus has made it level for you and I to come. Now, if you, if you know what I just said, you'll understand then that Mary and Joseph, they came to do what the law of God required. And you see there in verse 24, what did they bring? They brought a pair of turtle doves and a pair of pigeons. So what class were most Joseph and Mary in? They were the poorest of the, of the, of the classes. Jose y María, aquí los vemos que ellos están trayendo dos palomas uh, y no sé cómo se llama. Uh, pichones, no, eso no sé si será o no. Bueno, 
trajeron cuatro aves, cuatro pájaros, para decirlo así. Entonces, ¿qué era José y María? ¿En qué clase estaban? Estaban en la clase de abajo. Y a ellos están redimiendo, listen, 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 listen. Jesus, your Savior, was redeemed with the smallest offering possible. He didn't come to be born in a palace. He didn't come to be born in, a, in the house of a noble. He came to be born among the poorest of men. And, and this offering that his parents are bringing is significant because our, our Savior, our Messiah, was, was from his birth fulfilling the law of God. Listen, if he hadn't have fulfilled the law of God, he couldn't be our Savior. Our Savior had to fulfill every single thing about the law of God. Now, I want you to notice something else in here, and that says that they brought Jesus to present him to the Lord. You see that in verse 22. Now, I want you to understand that because we don't baptize babies. We present babies. We dedicate them to God. Uh, en el verso 22, vemos que María y José trajeron a Jesús para presentarlo al Señor. Y eso nos da un entendimiento de que no bautizamos a los niños, sino que los presentamos. Why don't we baptize babies? Because baptism is, for a, is a conscious decision. When you're baptized, you are saying, I have given my life to Christ. I know what I'm doing. And I have become a follower of Jesus. I want to be baptized. A baby can't do that. And so we don't baptize babies. Uh, around here, we generally don't even baptize small children because we want to make sure that they know what they're doing. And so what do we do with babies? We present them to God. We dedicate them to the Lord. And uh, if you uh, have children, I want to encourage you to dedicate your baby and dedicate them early. All right, don't wait till they're seven years old and can walk on the altar, okay? You, you try to get them in here as soon as practical. And I know sometimes it doesn't happen, and it's okay. It doesn't mean you've sinned against God. It doesn't mean they, they're not going to be a good Christian. It just, you, you have an opportunity at the very beginning, be as, as, as early as practical, bring them to the house of God. Now, that's one scene. On the other scene is this old man named Simeon. Ahora, esa es una escena. La otra escena es este anciano llamado Simeon. Now, Simeon was an old man, and... I keep saying that because the Bible says that, all right? If the Bible says you're old, you're old, all right? There's no way around it there. Um, it, it, somebody said age is just a number. That's true. But when the Bible says you're old, you're old. And Simeon was old, and the Bible tells us that because he had been given a promise by God that he would not die until the Messiah was born and that he would see the Messiah arrive. And so uh, Simeon has been waiting a long time for God's promise. Now, some scholars actually believe that Simeon was a retired priest who had served the Lord in the, in the priesthood. He might even have been the leader of the Sanhedrin. And he was a man that expected with his whole heart that God was going to keep his promise to Israel, to send a deliverer, to send a Messiah. Simeon era un hombre anciano que estaba por mucho tiempo esperando la venida del Mesías porque se le había dicho que él no moriría hasta que viera el nacimiento del Mesías. Él no iba a morir 
hasta que viera el, uh, la llegada del de prometido de Dios. And so Simeon is, is uh, waiting and he is trusting in God and he is a man, the Bible calls him righteous, devout, and full of the Spirit. Este hombre era justo, era un hombre devoto y era un hombre lleno del Espíritu Santo. Don't you know that these are the best characteristics anybody could use to describe our life? Don't, doesn't everybody in here want to be that righteous, devout, and full of the Spirit? And now the two scenes collide. Joseph and Mary arrive in the, uh, in the temple courts bringing baby Jesus in their arms. And when they come into the temple, I want you to think about this, because in, in the Old Testament, in the book of Ezekiel, God left the temple. Think about this. God, wh where does God live? In the temple. But in Ezekiel, he left the temple. He rejected his own house. He basically told Israel, I'm not going to dwell with you anymore. And the glory of the Lord departed from the house of God. So from that moment on, from Ezekiel all the way to this moment, God's presence is not in the temple. God's Shekinah glory cloud is not appearing in the temple. In the book of Ezekiel, the glory of God is out of the temple. It's out of the idolatry of Israel, and God rejects his own house, and says to the people, I'm not going to live here anymore. They had brought in idols and other types of, of uh, 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 ungodliness into the, into the house, and so God said, I'm not going to live here. And what, what he said was, I'm going to leave this house. And so this is the first time when Mary and Joseph walk in with the baby Jesus, they're literally carrying in the glory of God back into the temple because the temple had lost the glory. You see, the glory was no longer in the temple. The glory was no longer on the Ark of the Covenant. The glory was no longer behind the veil. The glory was now in this human being called Jesus Christ, who you and I invoke as our Savior and as our Lord. Come on, somebody, because I'm, I'm telling you something. Jesus is the glory of God. Jesus is the presence of God in, human, in a human body. Let me bring in Jesus into the temple. And when Simeon sees him, the Holy Spirit reveals to him, that's the Messiah. That's the promised one of God. And he starts to, uh, he starts to do a few things. I want you to notice with me. First of all, we notice that Simeon took him into his hands. Wouldn't you have liked to carry the Son of God? I, I don't mean just the baby Jesus. I mean the Son of God, the second person of the Godhead. Simeon was carrying a member of the Trinity in his arms. He took him in his arms. And he said, thank you, Lord, for giving me what you promised. He said, my eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord. Dijo Simeon, mis ojos han visto la salvación de Jehová. I want you to notice something, that salvation is not an abstract thought. Salvation is a person. La salvación no es una idea. La salvación no es una filosofía. La salvación es una persona. He said, my eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord. Él dijo, yo he visto la salvación de Jehová. That's why if you have philosophy, you don't have salvation. 
If you have religion, you don't have salvation. But if you have Jesus, you have salvation because Jesus is salvation. Si usted tiene una idea, una filosofía, no tiene la salvación. You might even understand in your mind what salvation is, what it means, how to define it in Greek and Hebrew and every other language. But if you don't have Jesus, you don't have salvation. Jesus is the salvation of God. His name means Jehovah saves. Somebody say Jesus. You see, Jesus saves. Jesus is salvation. That's why what you need is not church membership. What you need is not not to be part of some elite group. What you need is Jesus. What the world needs is Jesus. Say amen, somebody. What America needs is Jesus. Because Jesus is salvation. He said, my eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord. And then he says, and what you have prepared. So uh, Simeon understood that everything that he was seeing was the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. He was seeing the whole Old Testament paradigm come to a full and complete uh, fulfillment in the person of Christ. And then he said, he is revelation to the Gentiles and glory to the nation of Israel. How did he know this? There were two ways that he knew this. All right? Stick with me because when I'm talking about Simeon, I'm actually talking about you. All right? Say amen, somebody. All right? Because you and I are the Simeon of today. You and I are the one who's now expecting God to fulfill his promise. And so Simeon, he's, he, he says these things. He says, this is the light to the Gentiles and the glory to Israel. How does he know that this is the Messiah? Number one, he knew because of Bible prophecy. He had studied the book. Now, Simeon didn't have the Bible that you and I have. He didn't have an app, the Bible app, all right? He didn't have Google. God bless Google, but he didn't have Google. He had scrolls. So you and I have a whole big advantage on Simeon because Simeon had to read a whole bunch of scrolls. And you know the scrolls didn't even have chapter breaks. They didn't have verse breaks. They were just long writings. So you and I have it all together, don't we? We have chapter breaks, verse breaks, page numbers, tables of concordance. We have table of contents. We have dictionaries, commentaries. We have printed Bibles, digital Bibles, Bible on the church screen. We have the pastor to preach the Bible to us. We have all of these things, but we're not doing what Simeon did because Simeon was studying the Word of God. And America has a whole bunch of Bibles that it doesn't study. I, I know we're going to get quiet right now for a second, but it's okay. All right? He understood that Jesus was coming, that God was going to keep his promise because he was studying the scriptures. But there's a second way he knew, and that was that he had the witness of the Spirit. He had the inner witness of the Holy Spirit telling him that you're not going to die until the Messiah comes. He expected Jesus to come in his lifetime. And all of us today, we have those two things, all right? All of us have the scriptures. If you have a copy of the Bible, say amen. amen. If you don't have a, bi a Bible, talk to me. I'll give you a Bible before you leave church, all right? You don't have to live without a Bible. If you have a cell phone, you have a Bible, all right? If you have data, you have the internet, you have a Bible, all right? Any way you look at it, you and I have a Bible. But the second thing we have is we have the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit hasn't promised everybody they're going to live until the rapture, all right? The Holy Spirit hasn't done that. But he does bear witness with us that Jesus is coming back. 
that Jesus has going to, to do what he said that he was going to do. This is what Jesus said. He said, I am going to prepare a place for you. And I will, if I go away, I will come again. And if I come again, I will receive you to myself so that where I am, there you may also be. Listen, Jesus made a very clear, un, uh, uh, you can't mess this promise up. It's so clear. He said, I'm going away, I'm coming back, and I'm going to take you with me when I come back. Say amen, somebody. Is that simple or what? You know, it takes a Bible scholar to mess that one up. That's so easy. He said, I'm going to go away, I'm going to come back, and when I come back, I'm going to take you with me. And the, the word of God and the spirit of God bear witness with us. These two witnesses are proclaiming to us what they proclaim to Simeon. Simeon tenía dos testigos en su vida. Tenía la palabra de Dios y tenía el, el testigo interno del Espíritu Santo. La palabra de Dios era estudiada por Simeón y tiene que ser estudiada por nosotros. Y al estudiar la palabra, él entendía que viene el Mesías. Y al estudiar la palabra, su espíritu daba testimonio de que Dios iba a cumplir su palabra hacia él. Can I just tell you tonight that when you study the Bible, you come to this conclusion. Jesus is coming back. Jesus said he would come back. Jesus is going to come back. And when you study the Bible, the Bible, the spirit of God within you bears witness. That these words are true. And that God's going to do what he promised. Now the question tonight is, what do we do about that? What, what kind of life do we live in light of the fact that Jesus is going to return? Now the Bible tells us a few things about the return of Christ. And we're going to get into some of the details in a, a later Bible study. But I just want you to think about these couple of things. I just mentioned one. Jesus said, I will come again. Say, I will come again. Jesus said it. It's in red letters in some of your Bibles, all right, in case you needed additional proof. It's in red letters. Jesus said it. Does Jesus lie? Do you believe Jesus? Listen, if Jesus was lying about that, you can't believe anything he said. That's why I believe he's coming back, because he said he's coming back. If Peter had said it or Paul had said it, that's, that's strong enough. But Jesus himself said it. Now, he also said, I don't know the day or the hour when I'm going to come back. Only my father knows that. So Jesus didn't set a date. He didn't say, I'm going to be gone 2,000, um, 2,018 years, and then around Christmas time, I'll come back and get you. He didn't say that. He just said that he was going to come back. Jesus no nos dio fecha. But listen, uh, when somebody says, Jesus is coming back next year in April during the Feast of, T of Passover, don't believe that. Because Jesus could come back next year in April, in April, the day before the Feast of Passover, all right? You, you, you be careful with people who set dates, because Jesus said, no man knows the day or the hour. Jesús dijo, nadie, ningún hombre conoce el día ni la hora. He said, I don't even know. Ni yo lo sé. Eso es algo que mi padre ha establecido. And so, listen, there's a day coming when the father is going to look at the son and say, all right, son, go get the church. And that day has been determined by the father, and you and I don't have insight on that. So what do we do? If he's coming back, and we don't know when he's coming back, then what kind of life ought we 
to live. And there's something else about his coming is that he says when he comes back, he's going to bring his reward with him. Otra cosa que él nos ha prometido es que cuando él regrese, él va a traer su galardón con él. What does that mean? That means that when Jesus comes back, he's going to, he's going to judge the world. Listen, when Jesus comes back, he's going to reward the righteous and he's going to judge the wicked. What does that mean, preacher? That means every single person in this room, including the pastor, every single person in this city, every single person in America, every person in the world, and every person who's ever existed from Adam until the last person who will ever exist is going to have an appointment with Jesus. Solo. Cara a cara. Mano a mano. Man to man. All right? You think about that. You're going to meet Jesus personally. Some of you are sweating already. Algunos ya están sudando porque todos van a tener un encuentro con Jesús. Todos tienen cita. Esa cita nadie la va a evitar. You can't avoid that appointment. Acts chapter 17 says this. God has established a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness and he has furnished proof by raising Jesus from the dead. So all of us are going to stand before him in judgment. The righteous are going to receive rewards. Because you see, if you're in Christ, Jesus already took your judgment at the cross. Say amen, somebody. All right, you don't have to sweat. All right, you don't have to sweat judgment day because Jesus suffered your judgment at the cross. When Jesus died on the cross and you put your faith in him, God's no longer angry with you. He has put his anger on Jesus. And he's given you what belonged to Jesus. But on that day, we're going to receive a reward from him. En ese día, cuando, cuando Jesús regrese a los justos, les va a dar su galardón. Ahora, escuche, porque eh, usted y yo, si estamos en Cristo, ya el juicio Jesús lo pasó. Ya no tiene que sudar, porque Jesús ya pasó el juicio. La ira de Dios cayó en Jesús sobre la cruz. Y cuando usted y yo ponemos fe en Cristo, ya la ira de Dios no está sobre mí, ahora está sobre Cristo. Y ahora yo he recibido justicia, por lo cual... Yo puedo recibir perdón de Dios y estoy justo y estoy justificado delante de Dios. So, Jesús ya llevó la ira de Dios. Entonces, lo que, lo que falta es el galardón. So, what's going to be given on that day is rewards to the saints. But there will also be judgment given to the, to the wicked. También será día de juicio para el injusto. The Bible says that the small and the great, everybody, will stand before him. On that day, you're going to see... President Trump, you're going to see Barack Obama, you're going to see uh, Hitler, you're going to see Mussolini, you're going to see FDR, you're going to see John F. Kennedy, you're going to see Alexander the Great, you're going to see Pharaoh, you're going to see Herod, you're going to see everybody. And then all those nameless people who nobody knows, you just see their face on Facebook, all those people too, we're all going to see the judgment of all those who died without Christ. All right, now I've got your attention, don't I? How do I live? In light of that day. There's three things the Bible tells you to do. Ahora, ¿cómo debo vivir en la luz de esa revelación, de esa promesa? ¿Cómo debo yo vivir? Well, there's three things I want to bring before you tonight. Number one, you need to watch patiently. Número uno, tienes que uh, velar pacientemente. Say watch. What does it mean to watch? ¿Qué significa velar? We don't really do watches anymore because 
you know, we have security and alarms and police departments and whatnot. But in the old days, a city would have a watchman. Y'all remember when cities had watchmen? The drive-through town, especially the little small towns. Right? <laughs> little words from my childhood. What's a watchman? That sounded important, right? It meant watchman. The watchman would drive through town, but the watchman's job in the old ancient world was to stay awake for three hours. The watch would start at nine, at nine o'clock at night. His one job was to stay awake for th those three hours and keep watch. And then at midnight, someone else would come and take watch. And he'd go off to bed, and this guy, his job was to keep watch for three hours. And then at 3 a.m., the third watch would start, and that guy would watch from 3 to 6, graveyard shift. And then at 6, the last watch would come. Había cuatro veladas, las nueve, de las nueve a la medianoche, y la medianoche a las tres, de las tres a las seis, luego de las tres a las nueve de la mañana. Entonces, la, la Biblia nos enseña que tenemos que velar pacientemente. The Bible tells us we need to watch patiently. What was Simeon doing at the temple? What was he doing in his heart? He was watching patiently. Someday, my promise is going to walk through that door. Someday, my eyes are going to see what God told me he was going to do in my life. And I just want to tell you tonight, I don't know how long you've been waiting. And I don't know what you've been waiting for. But I want you to live and watch patiently because sooner or later, your promise is going to walk through the door. What God has promised to your life, what God has promised to your family, come on somebody, what God has promised to your children, you will see it. you got to believe that. you got to know, I'm going to see with my eyes what God has spoken to my heart. Say amen, somebody. Are there any believers in the house of God tonight? ¿Cuántos creyentes hay aquí esta noche que saben como Simeón que un día de estos la promesa de Dios va a caminar por esas puertas? Yo voy a ver lo que Dios me prometió. The Bible tells us this in Matthew 24, 42. Therefore, watch, for you do not know the day when your Lord is going to come. Dice Mateo 24, 42, por lo tanto, velar porque no sabéis el día cuando tu Señor ha de venir. And then in Matthew 24, 43, the scripture says this, but understand this, if the owner of the house had known at which watch of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let the house be broken into. So Jesus says, if you knew the day he was coming, you would watch for him. But since you don't know, you need to watch all the time. Patiently expecting and waiting for the Lord to return. Mark 13, verse 35. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know when the master of the house will return. Whether in the evening, at midnight, when the rooster crows, or in the morning. Look, there's the four watchers right there. You don't know when the master of the house is going to return. They tell the story about a, a little Catholic church where um, one of the deacons ran into the office and he told the, the bishop, he said, Bishop, Jesus has been seen walking through the aisles of the church. And he said, well, well look busy, man, look busy. Right? He wanted him to, to look like he was working. Well, that's what you and I have to be watching, all right, because the master's going to come back someday. The master's going to come back and see what we're doing. What have you done 
with the 60, 70, 80 years that he gave you. And, and he's going to take an accounting of all the things that we have done. So we watch patiently. Mark 13, verse 37. And what I say to you, I say to everyone, keep watch. Listen, Jesus said, what I say to you, I say to everyone, keep watch. Jesús dijo, Marcos 13, verso 37, eh, lo que os digo, lo digo a todos, velar sin cesar. Watch. What, is, what does that really mean in practical terms? It means we live every day with the expectation today could be the day. This could be the day that Jesus comes. ¿Qué significa velar? Sino que simplemente todos los días esperamos que este pueda ser el día cuando Cristo venga. Listen, I, I want to encourage you to live like this. Live in such a way where you would not be ashamed to be found doing what you're doing when Jesus comes. Vamos a vivir de tal manera de no estar avergonzados de ser hallados haciendo lo que estamos haciendo cuando Cristo venga. Now here's the next thing. And that is that we need to live holy. So we watch patiently and we live holy. Say live holy. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 through 14. Go there with me if you, if you can. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 through 14. That's a, a little book in your New Testament. This is what it says. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men instructing us to do these things. Number one, deny ungodliness. Dice Tito, capítulo 2, verso 11 al 14, que debemos que vivir en santidad. Tenemos que velar pacientemente y vivir en santidad. Y dice, tenemos que negar la impiedad. What does that mean to deny ungodliness? Basically, ungodliness means that we have no reverence for God. And we have to deny that tendency in our heart, in our nature, to be irreverent toward God. Tenemos que uh, velar y también tenemos que negar la impiedad. Y la impiedad es de no ser reverentes hacia Dios. Listen, there, there was a time uh, where people gave more reverence to God than our generation does. Our generation uses God's name in vain so frequently that we don't even notice it. Even Christians. The other day I was in a, in a store and I heard a man uh, complaining about something he had done and then he brought the Lord into it. I was like, what did the Lord do to you? Irreverence toward God. And you know that even as believers we can become irreverent toward God by just making him familiar. By just feeling like he's one of the guys. The big man upstairs. No, he's God. He's holy. And we do, we do want to have a, a, a communion with him and a fellowship with him. But we don't ever want to forget that he is worthy of reverence and awe. And then he says we deny world ungodliness and worldly desires. Worldly lust. Listen, every believer is going to face the challenge of worldly desires. Why? Because the world is advertising all the time. The world, the flesh, and the devil are on a 100%, 24 hours, 7 day a week campaign to destroy your soul. And there is a constant advertising for you to buy into the desires of the world. And I want you to be careful about that because 
the world will tell you it's no big deal. Just live however you want. Do something for yourself. Take some time for yourself. You deserve it. You've been a good Christian your whole life. You've got to do something fun for once, right? And, and if you're not careful, you find yourself desiring what the world has. And you have to be careful with those desires because that desire, the Bible says, sin, when it is conceived, brings forth death. That moment when you start to plan those things, they're no longer desires, but now they're things that are beginning to manifest themselves in your life. He says live sensibly. That means be sober, be serious, take God seriously, take God's word seriously, live a sober life. Uh, doesn't, that doesn't just mean don't get drunk. It does mean that. But it means don't be silly about eternity. Don't take things lightly. Live as though this day could be your last day. And you're going to stand before God and and when you do, you want to know that you lived your life with purpose, with intention. Some people are living today, even in the church, with a, with a lack of seriousness toward God. They've taken, they've taken God and God's things with a, matter, with a degree of frivolity. And then in the last part of the verse, he says, be zealous for good deeds. Now, let's tie it all together. He says, deny ungodliness, worldly desires, and live sensibly, righteously, and godly. In the present age. Why? He says we're looking for the blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Who gave himself for us and redeemed us from lawless deeds. In order to purify us for himself. A people who are zealous for good deeds. That's that last part of it. And that's the third thing we have to do. In light of the fact that Jesus is coming back. We need to watch patiently. We need to live holy. And we need to work diligently. Say work diligently. La tercera cosa que tenemos que hacer es trabajar diligentemente. Mire, ahí él dice que debemos ser celosos para buenas obras. Now I just want to challenge you with that for a moment. Celosos para buenas obras. Zealous for good works. Do you remember when you were a child and your parents were in a, in a bossy mood? You remember when they were just handing out orders, take out the trash, sweep the kitchen, clean your room, fold your socks, get the clothes out of the dryer. And you're just, you're just trying to get away quick enough to where they would forget that you existed. <laughs> All right? And sometimes as believers, we're kind of like that. Like, oh, man, here comes this brother. He doesn't have any money. He's going to ask me for money. What am I going to do? I gave him 20 bucks last week. And, and we're just trying to avoid having to do another good work. All right, Jesus is looking for people who are zealous for good work. Who are excited about being a blessing. Excited about what does God want me to do next? What's God's next thing on the agenda? And when we, when we, uh, we put all of this together, we realize that holy living and good works go together. Now, if you look at Luke chapter 12, verse 35 through 38, this is what the scripture says. As it talks about working diligently. Aquí en Lucas 12, capítulo 35 al 38, al 38, vemos lo que dice la escritura sobre trabajar diligentemente. It says, stay dressed in readiness. Dice, estar siempre vestido. I was talking to servants. And I want you to just think about this. If, if you have 
uh, in a household, in, in an ancient household, where you had servants. If you rang the bell at 3 a.m., that servant needed to come into your room and ask what you wanted. And they better not be in their pajamas either. They better not be in their chanclas, right? They better be well-dressed. So which butler is going to be well-dressed at 3 in the morning? Well, that's what Jesus is saying here. He says, stay dressed, ready to work. And, and he says, keep your lamp lit. Keep the light on. Quédate vestido y guarda encendida tu lámpara. Listen, the lamp is your life. And the oil in the lamp is the anointing of the Spirit of God in your life. And the fire of the, the, in, on the oil is the, is the Holy Spirit upon the anointing in your life. And he says, stay on fire. Stay lit. Stay ablaze for God. Guardate encendido con fuego, con luz en tu vida. You know, I was remembering today as I think about this because every person here is responsible for keeping your own lamp lit. Nobody said amen. Pastor, I thought that was your job. No, that's your job. Say, it's my job to keep my lamp lit. I remember today somebody told me that they had backslid. Just her and her husband backslid because my Bible study series went too long on a particular subject. And I thought, huh, you want to blame me and my Bible study for the fact that you didn't go home and keep your lamp lit? So you were bored with the sermon? Go and read your Bible. Go and pray. Go and worship God in your backyard. Come on, somebody. Well, they didn't sing the song I like. No, you keep your lamp lit. Because the Bible said that Jesus, when the, when the bridegroom came, there were ten virgins, remember? Five of them had oil and they had a light. Five of them had a lamp but no oil. No oil means no light. So don't blame the church. Don't blame the preacher. Don't blame the pastor. Don't blame your small group leader. You have a light and you have a lamp. Keep oil in that lamp. He says, stay dressed. Keep your lamp lit. Be like the man who waits for his master when he returns from the wedding feast so that he may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master finds awake when he comes. Listen, the day is coming when the master is going to come up that old dusty road. And if you are ready for him, your lamp will be lit. Your light will be ablaze. You'll be ready to serve and living in holiness so that you don't have to go and find cleansing when he comes You'll be ready for his coming. Therefore, he says, when he comes, since you don't know whether he's coming in the second watch or in the third watch, blessed is he whom the master finds ready. Can I just encourage you? Work while it is day. 
because the night is coming, Jesus said, when no one will be able to work. If you're going to pray, pray now. If you're going to fast, fast now. If you're going to preach, preach now. If you're going to sing, sing now. If you're going to serve, serve now. If you're going to live for God, live for God now. If you're going to wait for other people to sign up, forget about it. If you're going to wait for other people to get on board, forget about it. Many people have started out this journey. They're not walking with you anymore. You can't depend on them. Keep your eye on Jesus. If you're going to serve him, serve him today. Live for him today. Love him today. Worship him today. Because he's coming back. And when he comes back, it won't matter whether or not the other people who started out with you were there to help you or encourage you. You've got to know it's between me and Jesus right now. And I have to go forward because I serve a good God. He's been good to me. Can I just say this? He's been gooder to me than I have been to myself. Say amen, somebody. So I'm going to live for him and wait for him to come. Simeon had that heart toward God. You know, uh, recently I've visited a good friend of mine. He's like a brother. And his, uh, his children, they call me Uncle Isaac. And so when I drove up the driveway, when I drove up the street, I came out, and they were all out on the, on the driveway waiting for Uncle Isaac. And I thought to myself this afternoon, isn't that what Jesus is looking for? When he comes in the clouds of heaven, he's looking for his church to be out waiting and saying, come, Lord Jesus. We're ready for you. We long for you. Come on, would you stand with me tonight? Would you just, would you just open your heart toward God and say, Lord, if I haven't been watchful, wake me up. If I'm asleep spiritually, if I'm asleep in my, in, in my inner man, if my spiritual life is, is dead and dormant, stir me up. Revive me, O oh God. Don't let me sleep while others perish. Don't let me sleep while souls are in danger. Let me be watchful unto the coming of the Lord. Maybe tonight you say, Lord, I want to live in holiness. There are some things in my life that I haven't been doing right, that are unrighteous, that are not holy, that are irreverent, and I repent of those things tonight. I put away those childish ways of thinking, those thoughts, those ideas, those imaginations, those, those fantasies, those ways of living, those ways of doing. I put all of that aside. I reject it tonight because I want to be holy and righteous before you. I want to live in the integrity of my heart. I want to live as a righteous child of the living God. Maybe tonight you just say, Lord, help me to work. Help me to serve. Help me to be diligent, to be zealous for good works because I want to receive a well done from the master when he comes. I want to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. Listen, he never said, well done, perfect servant. He said, well done, faithful servant. That means if you fall down, you get back up again and you serve him. If you fall down, you fall short, you keep going, running the race, serving the Lord. Come on, just speak to him from your heart tonight. Tell him, Lord, make me ready. Make me a hard worker. I want to live as though you are coming tonight. And work as though you're not coming for another hundred years. 
I've got to get as many souls in the kingdom as I can. I've got to have my family come to know Jesus. I've got to have my sons and daughters come to know Jesus. Make us soul winners, O oh God. Diligent, zealous for good works. Let the gifts and callings of God that are resting inside our heart not sit dormant any longer. But let every man do what he can with what he has where he is. That he might be in glory to the king.